Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Grace. You know, the following story appeared in a Florida newspaper some time back. Let me share it with you. I think it's quite interesting. It talks about a man, true story, who was working on his motorcycle out on the family uh, patio, and he was kind of revving the engine on the motorcycle, and it slipped into gear accidentally. And the man is holding the handlebars, and he's dragged through their plate glass window of the patio door. And the motorcycle and the man just kind of explode through this glass and are thrown inside on the floor. Well, the wife, hearing the crash from the kitchen, ran into the dining room and found her husband lying on the floor, cut and bleeding with the motorcycle lying there next to him. Patio doors are shattered, glass all over the house. Well, the wife immediately ran to the phone and called the ambulance. And because they lived on a fairly large hill, the wife had to go down several flights of long stairs to the street to direct the paramedics up to her husband. Well, after the ambulance arrived to transport her husband to the hospital, the wife pushed the motorcycle back inside and seeing that the gasoline gasoline had spilled all over the floor, she began to kind of blot up the gasoline with some paper towels and threw them into the toilet. Don't get ahead of me. The husband was treated, released from the hospital to come back home. And upon arriving home that day, bandaged and bruised, he looked at the shattered patio door, the glass, the damage to his motorcycle, and he kind of got depressed. He became despondent, went to the bathroom, sat on the toilet, and smoked a cigarette. <laughs> and after, true story, you can't make this stuff up, and after finishing the cigarette, he flipped the cigarette between his legs into the toilet bowl while still seated. The wife in the kitchen heard a loud explosion and heard her husband screaming, his trousers had been blown away and he was suffering from burns on the back of his legs and groin. The wife again ran to the phone and called the ambulance for the second time that day. The same ambulance crew was dispatched and the wife met them again at the same street. The paramedics loaded the husband on the stretcher for the second time, carried him down the street. And while they were going down the stairs to the street, accompanied by the wife, one of the paramedics asked the wife how the husband had burned himself. She told them. And the paramedics started laughing so hard, one of them tipped the stretcher, dumped the husband out, he fell down the remaining stairs and broke his ankle. Now, question, question. How many of you feel like you've had a week kind of like that? <laughs> All right. Um, it happens, doesn't it? Life is hard. Well, today's message is kind of for people who feel like life has stressed them out and kind of dumped them out uh, uh, on, the, on the floor of life. Someone has said that ours is an age of anxiety. I read a provocative article this week by Thaddeus Williams. He's a professor at Talbot Theological Seminary, a very bright person. And the article is called The Age of Anxiety. It appeared earlier this year in January, I think, in World Magazine. Fabulous article. But here's what struck me about it. Here's what struck me about what Thaddeus Williams wrote. 
he talked about statistical data that show that anxiety in our culture, and especially among the student population, has been steadily increasing in this century. In fact, it has pretty much doubled, and now over 50% of college students struggle with some pretty significant levels of anxiety. It's literally at crisis levels. He also cited Chapman University recently releasing its annual survey on American fear. They do this every year, put out a survey based on the statistical data they've gathered, and fear of corrupt government officials topped the list for four out of five Americans. And over half of Americans fear things like pollution and cyber terrorism and economic collapse and civil unrest and illness and death. And ladies, I hate to tell you, but every study done thus far indicates that anxiety tends to impact women a bit more than men. And I find this provocative there's a direct correlation between your level of anxiety and your time spent on social media. The correlation is unmistakable. So we live in a world where any way you slice it, anxiety is just rampant. But in a world like ours, Jesus has a word. He has a word of comfort and encouragement, but I, might, I tell you, it's also a word of challenge. In the book we call Matthew's Gospel in the Bible, we have the words of Jesus where he gives us this radical instruction, and he says, don't worry. You don't really need to worry. And he lists a whole range of things that we don't need to worry about. So here's how we're gonna do it. Let's look at the passage together, what Jesus actually said, and then let's spend some minutes unpacking it together and talking about how we can actually apply this to our lives. So here's the passage. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus goes on. So do not worry. He says it several times here in this one passage. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, in other words, people who have no faith in God really at all, people who have no personal relationship with God at all, the pagans, they run after all these things. 
and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And then he ends it by saying this, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's the passage. Now, I can imagine upon hearing that, that some people wanna push back really hard on Jesus here. In fact, I think that some people believe that that's probably the most naive thing Jesus ever said in his whole life. I mean, come on. How can you possibly say in a world like this not to worry? That's ridiculous. I mean, doesn't Jesus know that bad things happen in this world? For instance, New York Jets fans were really expecting a a great season this season. Seriously, I mean, it, it was looking good. It was all lining up. They had signed all-pro veteran quarterback Aaron Rodgers as a free agent. And boy, you know, he's just one of the best that's ever played the game, spent all these years at Green Bay, and now he's gonna be playing for the Jets. And many fans thought this is the year we're gonna go to the Super Bowl. But on the very first game, on the fourth play of the game, mind you, before a packed out MetLife stadium with over 22 million people watching on national television, Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles. Now that, that's a, that's a season ending injury right there. And although the backup uh, quarterback Zach Wilson is playing quite well, actually. Still now the team is only one and three, and the Jets fans are just so disappointed. You say, well, Pastor Rex, why not worry? I mean, isn't what happened to Aaron Rodgers, isn't that experience just another reminder that life is uncertain? I mean, come on, none of us knows what's gonna happen on the next play of our lives, right? Or or what news we'll get from next week's medical exam. So why not worry? Has Jesus lost his mind here? I mean, come on, how can he possibly say that? And shouldn't parents worry about their children? I mean, just last weekend, nine-year-old Charlotte Senna was abducted while just riding her bicycle just north of here at Moreau Lake State Park. Now, thankfully, after a two-day search involving hundreds of officers and personnel, thankfully, she's been rescued and returned to her parents. But you can be sure that as we sit here today, parents are a little more nervous, a little more vigilant, a little more worried about the safety of their kids. Doesn't Jesus know that stuff like this happens? This world's a cruel place where awful things happen to some pretty decent people. I mean, doesn't he know that just yesterday war broke out in Israel? And the Israeli people have kind of prided themselves on intelligence and counterintelligence when it comes to war and the hostility of people groups around them. But just yesterday, unsuspected, they had no idea it was coming, militant Hamas forces launched an all-scale war against them. 
Hundreds have already been killed, thousands already wounded, and nobody knows, nobody knows what the outcome is gonna be. Come on, Jesus. Aren't there some things in this world that we should be worried about? I can just hear, I can just hear the pushback. I think that this is one of the most radical things Jesus ever said when he said, don't worry. So what are we to make of this? Folks, I think we need to differentiate between responsible concern, which is legit, and worry. There is a difference, and the difference is important. So I wanna put it here on the screen. Concern anticipates likely or certain coming events and takes appropriate action. It doesn't sit around stewing and worrying and wringing its hands. It takes action. And that appropriate action that you take when you have this godly, responsible concern, that action helps eliminate your worry, actually, because you're doing what you can do. But, but in contrast to that, worry anticipates potential disasters in areas that we cannot control and does nothing about it. Now, the Apostle Paul certainly knew the difference between those two. He had appropriate concern, for instance, for the congregations he had started. He had started a number of churches in various places he had gone, and he had concern about them. And in a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he's talking about all the stressful things in his life and all the things he's been, to, been through, then he adds this little statement here in verse 28. Besides everything else I've just named here, I face daily the pressure of my concern. Notice that word. Not my worry, not my anxiety, my concern for all the churches. This is the same apostle, mind you, who told us don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He certainly knew the difference between worry and a godly, responsible concern about something. That difference is very real. So let's be clear here. It's not wrong for you to save for your children's education. That doesn't represent worry. <laughs> it's not wrong to buy a life insurance policy or to put a carbon monoxide alarm in your house. That doesn't mean you're a worrier if you do that. It's not wrong to get a physical checkup and exam or to listen to the weather report to see if you should maybe plan a certain event. That doesn't, that doesn't mean you're worried. You're, you just have appropriate concern and you're taking action about that. And that proper planning for the future, again, let me say it, it helps eliminate worry. If you're a student here today, maybe a high school, college student, graduate student, and we have many in our church, you certainly know about what it's like to face a big test, don't you? Sure. And if you aren't prepared for that, if you aren't prepared for what's coming, if you don't show appropriate concern for the future, the closer you get to that test, the more stressed out you're gonna get. So, concern is appropriate and good. Let's look at it again. 
It anticipates likely or certain coming events and takes appropriate action. Boy, I could spend all day right there just naming things that are appropriate concerns that we don't need to worry about, but that we do need to take some action for because they're definitely coming in the future. One of those, by the way, is your own death. (laughs) Not to stress you out even more, okay? Because that is one of the things that people get stressed out about. This is not something to worry about if, if, if you take the appropriate action. If you have a relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in him alone, you don't need to worry about death. It's already defeated. It's already a done deal. Yeah, your body's gonna die, but you're gonna be with the Lord forever. It's not a matter of worry, but worry anticipates all these potential disasters. It sits around wringing its hands, worrying about things that we cannot control but it does nothing about it. Folks, (laughs) there is a huge, and I mean a huge difference between those two things. Somebody defined worry as assuming responsibility that God never intended us to have. In a sense, worry is playing God. We're trying to control things that are beyond our ability to control. So, with that as sort of a sound foundation, let me say a few things here about worry that I believe will help kind of put it in proper perspective. Number one, we need to acknowledge that worry is just flat out illogical. It's illogical. I'll explain what I mean by that. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Now listen, listen, I'm appealing to your reason here. To worry about something that you cannot change is completely useless. But to worry about something that you can change is stupid. Listen to me now, I'm your friend. My name is Rex, I'm your friend. I'm trying to be helpful here. This is really 101 stuff. If there's something in your life that you're worried about and you can change it, change it. Do something. Change it if you can, but do not sit there and worry. Worry is absolutely illogical. What I mean is it never solves a problem, ever. It's stewing without doing. It's like racing your car engine in the driveway. It creates a lot of noise and smoke, but you're not going anywhere. Worry has never solved a problem. It cannot change the past. It cannot control the future. It only makes you miserable today. That's what I mean. It is absolutely illogical. Second, worry, and this is easy to prove medically, the data is overwhelming. Worry is flat out unhealthy. (laughs) There's a bumper sticker that reads, if you're tempted to worry... Just remember that a raisin was once a happy grape, okay? I like that. Worry shrivels us up, not only in body, but in our soul as well. Charles Mayo, who founded the Mayo Clinic, made this incredible statement. He said that worry affects the circulation. He said it affects the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system, 
and profoundly affects a person's health. And every study that I've ever seen on the phenomenon of anxiety and worry essentially comes to the same conclusion. It really is more destructive health-wise than we've ever realized. I like what Warren Wiersbe, great theologian, preacher, commentator on the Bible says. He says, most Christians are being crucified on a cross between two thieves, yesterday's regrets and tomorrow's worries. And I think that's absolutely true. So what I'm saying, folks, is our bodies simply weren't made to handle the stress that comes with chronic worry. I mean, just re- don't take my word for it. Just Google a few studies on anxiety, on worry. You'll see that it leads to depression. It leads to sexual disorders, substance abuse, high blood pressure, all kinds of circulatory problems. The list goes on and on and on. We were simply never created to live like that. I like what the great philosopher Montaigne said. He said, my life, as he reflected as an older man back on his life, he made this honest, candid statement. My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. That's good. My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. In other words, I worried about it. I spent my life wringing my hands, being afraid it was gonna happen, but most of it never happened. So worry is kind of like that dark room where negatives develop in your life. It's illogical, it's unhealthy, but here's the most serious thing I want you to consider. If you're a person of faith in Jesus, worry is really a spiritual issue. I know we don't wanna admit that. I know that hits a little close to home, But it really is. Worry reveals a lack of trust in God. Now, before you stone me, before you spit on me, before you write nasty letters, please, please hear me out on this. Jesus said in the passage we looked at, he said, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Worry at its base is really a refusal to trust God. It's really kind of questioning God's character, really. Because God says, I'm gonna be with you always. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Worry says, no, I'm afraid I'm gonna be all alone. God's word says, look, I'm gonna work in the midst of all things for your good and my glory. Where he says, no, I don't think anything good is ever gonna come out of this. God says to you as a believer, you can do all things through him who strengthens you. Where he says, I just don't think I can get through this. So worry, in a sense, is like practical atheism. Oh, we still claim to believe in God. We say, oh, no, I'm not an atheist. But we live like atheists when we practice 
persistent, continual worry. It's kind of like the toxic waste of unbelief. It's disrespectful to God, to our Heavenly Father, who says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. Jesus, again, put it like this in Matthew 6. He said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So as hard as it is to hear, chronic worry is sinful. It, it really is because it refuses to truly trust God with the things that matter most to us in life. Well, if what I've said so far is true, if it's illogical, if it's unhealthy, if it reveals a lack of trust in God, then let's turn a corner and ask the practical question. Okay, 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 what, what should we do about it? One of my favorite billboards appeared on an Oklahoma freeway. The billboard said, don't let worry kill you, let the church help. Well, well, I don't know if the church will help or not, but I know this, God's got some answers. God's got some answers with anyone who has ears to hear and a heart that's open and really wants help. I believe, I believe Jesus gave us in this same passage the antidote to worry, I really do. So if you've got ears to hear, if you've got a heart that's open right now, if you really are willing to admit that, you know what? Jesus knew what he was talking about here when he said, don't worry, it's not a good thing. It's not honoring to God. <laughs> then I believe that Jesus gave us the answer. I believe he gave us the antidote. It's right here in verse 33. Here's the antidote to worry. But seek first his kingdom, that's the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, Jesus said that the antidote to worry is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you do that, the worries of life, here's what happens, they tend to die a natural death. Because you're so focused, you're so obsessed, let me use some other words, you're so consumed. You're so driven by. You're so enamored with. You're so stoked up by. You're so enraptured by. You're so in love with God and his kingdom that the things of this earth tend to grow faintly dim, quite frankly. But being brutally honest, I think very few people live that way. I think some of you do. I think some of you are consumed with God's kingdom, his righteousness, and I believe you get a good degree of victory in this area, but I don't think, honestly, many people live this way. True story, years ago, a man was fly, flying a small plane across the Atlantic Ocean. That's a long journey, especially in a small plane that's not going at the speed of a big jet or something. 
And he became worried, worried of two hours into the flight because he noticed a rat was gnawing some wiring behind him. Now, he suspected that the rat was kind of a stowaway. It had come into one of the boxes that had been loaded onto the little plane before takeoff. So the pilot was anxious, frankly, not knowing what delicate bit of machinery those sharp teeth might be cutting through. For all he knew, here's why he was worried, for all he knew, the rat could be gnawing through the vital cable that controlled the plane. So this was a serious situation. But here he was over the Atlantic. It's two hours flying back to where he started. But then he remembered that in his training, he had heard that rodents and certain other creatures can't survive at higher elevations where the oxygen is low. And it's true. By the way, rats and mice have never been found over 22,100 feet in elevation. That's the highest they've ever been found anywhere in the world. So remembering that, he began to climb in his little plane several thousand feet, and he got higher and higher, and the gnawing ceased. The rat could not survive the atmosphere of those heights. And hours later, when he landed safely, a dead rat was found in the pit of the plane. So here's what I believe about it. I think worry in our lives is kind of like a rodent. Yeah. It's kind of like a rat. A nasty, stinking, old rat. And it slowly gnaws away at the vitals of our soul. But here's the deal. It cannot live in the manifest presence of God. Worry and discouragement die when you and I ascend to the Lord through prayer, when we grow closer to him. Worry cannot live in the shelter of the Most High. It cannot breathe in the lofty atmosphere of faith and prayer. Now trust me, The world does not understand what I'm talking about. And you, even though you belong to Jesus, you may not understand it unless you've actually experienced it. It almost, what I'm talking about, almost has to be experienced to be believed. But the antidote to worry is the manifest presence of God. He promises that when you or I have an overwhelming pressure, he's gonna provide the resources we need, not just to survive, but to flourish in life. Following are some of the scriptures that regularly help me when I am tempted to stress out with anxiety and worry about things. And like you, my life has a lot of potential things to worry about. But by God's grace, you know, I'm finding through the years that if I just go to some of these scriptures and I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm not there, but I'm learning to cast my anxiety on him because he really cares. He doesn't just care for Rex Keener, he cares for you. So as we close today, let me share a few of the scriptures that have meant the most to me when I find myself tempted to worry. For instance, 
passages like Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Before I go to bed at night, if I find my mind obsessed with some issue at church or some person who's throwing their life away or making bad decisions or some issue that I'm tempted to worry about, I'll, I'll often go to Proverbs chapter three. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. And I don't know how this sounds to you, but I just say, God, I, I accept that. I receive that. That's your word. You're saying this to me that you can actually give me a refreshing, restful sleep. Yes, I want that. I like Isaiah 26. It's one of, one of my favorites. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. And so regularly, I just try to keep my mind focused on the things of God. And I do that. I do that through the word. I, I cannot imagine how stressed out I would be if I did not several times a day just go to passages like this. If we had time, I could give you many more. I'd just go to and say, God, I received this. This is you speaking to me. And not just to me, but to all your people. Psalm chapter 121. Incredible. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Oh, it's, not, it's not what you might think. No. People turn to all kinds of things for their help, to try to get help for their anxiety and so on. And then there, there are various ways you can help manage it. But I'm gonna lift my eyes to the hills. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's not super pious. That's just a fact. That's, that's 101 stuff. That, that's not just for the spiritually elite out there, whoever they may be. That's for the beginner with God. Or here's one I love. I am with you always, Jesus said, to the very end of the age. Finally, just a couple more. Just a couple more. Romans 8. We know that in all things, all things, all things. God works for the good of those who love him. We've been called according to his purpose. Do you ever just go and just say, yes, Lord, thank you? That in this thing, that, that most people would say, there's no way you're working in this, that even in this, you're working for my good. One final verse that I just absolutely adore, Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. I'll tell you what'll shut anxiety out real fast. It's just to start giving thanks to God for the amazing good things he's given you in your life. See, all these passages are like saying that the rat of worry is gonna suffocate when you ascend to the heights of faith and prayer. And when your number one obsession and mine becomes seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness and letting his peace rule in our hearts, the rat of worry is gonna die a natural death. It really will. So here's my final word. Here's why I'm so encouraged today. 
You didn't come into this world worrying. You know what? You learned how. How did I learn, pastor? By practicing. We learn how to worry by practicing. And when we practice, we become pretty good worriers. And if we can learn how to worry, we can learn how not to worry. And we can actually learn through time. And this is why I'm so encouraged. We can learn to cast our anxiety on him because he truly does care for us. Father, would you make that a reality for your people this week? Even those who right now are still skeptical, even those who think, oh no, I, I, I'm not sure this will work for me. Would you show even the most skeptical believer, no, this is for you. When you ascend to the heights, the rodent of worry dies a natural death. And more and more, the things of this world that are causing anxiety, they just kind of fade away and grow strangely dim because you're obsessed with the righteousness of God and his kingdom priorities. Father, may that be our story and let us sing it with joy as we live with gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.